Welcome to Call Your Hits, a Storm Riders Plasto Blasto podcast. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Today, Pat and I are going to be talking about longer range airsoft replicas. In particular, we'll talk about how we've built them in the past, what we're using currently, but also how you might go on this journey yourself and a few pitfalls to avoid. But before we get into it, a couple of different announcements. So firstly, if you are looking to support the channel in a meaningful way, there's two things that you can do. Firstly, it's our merch store on Threadless. The link is in the description where you can get really cool um, different types of material. Uh, some of our logos printed on shirts, including this design that I'm wearing right now. Which is awesome. <laughs> Which is absolutely amazing. Uh, it was created by one of our Discord community members. Uh, I absolutely love it to death. I've had it printed myself, and it's awesome. So that's a really cool design that's available on our Threadless store. Additionally, our Discord community members voted on a community patch that we put into production and uh, is available now for everyone to purchase. And the patch looks like this. I'm bringing it closer to the screen. But essentially... It is a, um, a patch that contains our logo with the with the rider and the axe, but as well, it has the whole, uh, the earth on it, basically. And it says global community because our Discord community is a, uh, a melting pot of all the different countries around the world. And so if you want to get one of these patches, you can get it uh, signed by me or unsigned, your choice for the same cost. It is $15 Canadian, and that includes shipping anywhere in the world. The link for that is in the description and um, you, can, you can buy it. And as, like I said, it's uh, it's $15 Canadian, whatever that translates to your currency, ship anywhere in the world uh, at that cost, no extra shipping. Uh, so if you want to do that, the link is in the description. It's on the Discord. It's very easy to find. So uh, with that being said, let's dive into the episode. And I think we talked We've talked firstly recently at length about magnified optics for Airsoft. So we're not going to talk about those again today, even though I'm sure our old pad pal Matt wouldn't mind. Um, but today we're really going to focus on other aspects of longer range Airsoft, Airsoft replicas, longer range Airsoft play. And we're going to loosely break it down to two parts. One is going to be more about sort of the rifle setups. And the other part is going to be more on the gameplay. And this is interesting. This was a suggestion that Matt actually made on the Discord. This is one of the first things we talked about on the podcast. I think this was on episode four or something like that, which at this point, it's been something like almost three years since we recorded that episode. And Pat, before we recorded, Pat and I were, were talking about this and like a lot has happened in three years. Uh, Global Pando notwithstanding, there's also the fact that we've created the Discord and we've been exposed to a lot of new opinions about Airsoft, which resulted in us really taking an adventure down uh, the the road of HPA, which of course we've talked about a lot and we're going to talk about again today, but it has also changed our perspective on how to build accurized airsoft replicas. Um, and it has also uh, changed our opinion on how you play with those replicas and so on and so forth. So some of the stuff that we talked back then is not that it's dated, but we always talk about how you should revisit your opinions about airsoft and make sure that you're still doing the right thing or there's not better ways. And it turns out there are better ways and we've discovered some. And so we're going to look at some of that today and have some conversations. Um, One of the really big pieces um, that sort of comes out of thinking back in that way is that uh, the discord has provided us with access to a lot of opinions that are sort of outside of the soap bubble of airsoft in Canada, um, which has been really helpful. 
you know, it provided me with new text to hang out with and chat with and steal ideas from. Hi, Chaz. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, it's also provided me with uh, people going, hey, you know, I know this thing might be harder to get in Canada, but it is worth looking into. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not inherently sort of uh, lazy about going and getting stuff from other places, but like shipping to me from the States right now costs about 40 US dollars. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I try to avoid it unless it's something I know I really want. <laughs> well, yeah. And that's, it's funny because that's part of the reason that when I created the, the, the patch page to, for, for the community patch, I wanted people to be able to just have the shipping included because if I were to ship that with like a parcel, for example, to the United States, even something as small as that patch, the shipping would be probably, you know, 30 to 40% of the cost of the patch itself, right? And similar, like if we were talking about uh, earlier about like different barrels and stuff from Amped Airsoft, I mean, that will be 40 or 50% of our order if we're only buying one thing. So hence, you know, trying to pull together and buy multiple things at once. But yeah, we'll talk uh, about that in a second. A trying to be organized about it kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> the other part that I'm really excited to talk about as well is the 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 gameplay aspect of long range airsoft because I think this is one idea that for many airsofters tends to be a pitfall. Uh, there's this desire, of course, to run a longer range replica, and you want to be able to you know snipe quote unquote snipe your opponents outside of their range and all this kind of stuff. In other words, to not have to worry about getting hit yourself while being able to hit everybody else and. That doesn't really shake out in reality, and we'll talk about that. But first, I think a good place I, to I was, start is... It's funny, because I was with you up until the not getting shot at and hit part, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> mindset yeah, stuff. Yeah, and I mean, like, you know, you're playing airsoft, you're going to get hit. Like, that's part of it, right? But I think before we get into that, even though that's the one that I think is... I, I'm a bit more excited to talk about personally, I think <laughs> but we can talk about the rifles. And we talked about this again in the past, and... Since the Discord, really, like you were talking about having exposure to different texts and you can talk about stuff, but there's a lot of really good knowledge and science, right, that gets dropped in the podcast, like low-key science. If you want to learn about, uh, you know, like volumes and all kinds of stuff, like in the stuff that I don't understand, P.S., uh, but in the references section, there's a lot of really good material in there. And as a consequence of that, you know, even through osmosis, you start to just realize that there's more information out there that is reliable. And so just the other day I was thinking about 6.01 millimeter barrels and I was like, oh yeah, Cora, what's your tier list for barrels right now? And he just dropped like the six, you know, in order of the best, uh, best in class to still really good barrels. Right. And like that's having that sort of resource has really changed my perspective. And I think yours as well. And I don't want to speak for you, but I think no, as definitely we've has, talked about, yeah. um, you know, I have the odd morning where I look at the uh, discord and like, I don't talk as much as I read, I'm afraid. Um, I, pretty much everyone knows that I think at this point. Uh, but, uh, you know, where I read the discord and I'm like, Oh God, they're talking about physics again. It's 8am. I can't do this. <laughs> yeah. But that's not a, a suggestion that you guys should stop. Just, I shouldn't read physics at 8am. Yeah. <laughs> um, One of so, the big things that we had talked about, I think initially was around this concept of like achievable accuracy, right? So when you're thinking about the, you know, your, your long range build or whatever, one of the core ideas for us three years ago, and I don't believe that that has changed, is this idea of what is the actual uh, realistically achievable accuracy for your airsoft rifle? Like there's people going out there being like, oh yeah, I want to build a rifle that shoots, you know, reliably at up to 200 meters, like 600 feet. Like, bro, that is not going to happen. <laughs> 
right? <laughs> I, Unless you're shooting like cannons or whatever. Like it's just, just it's just, not a thing. That's just right? that's a new that's a new hobby you need to take up. It's called target shooting. It yeah, really. Rifles. Yeah. Uh, you know. But you um, know, one one aspect that I don't think we talked about in that episode, but you and I have talked about this before. It's not just about realistically achievable accuracy, but I would also say there's a piece around realistically applicable accuracy, right? Or realistically applicable range. Like we've talked about this before. I remember we were playing a D-Day game and I was getting frustrated because I couldn't hit the opponents at the other side of the field, which is pretty much like the longest range that we're realistically going to shoot on on the field at front line. And your take to me at the time was like, bro, like, why do you care? Like we played this game mode like once every couple of weeks and once every month, do you want to build a rifle for this particular use case? Or would you rather have a rifle that you can use everywhere all the time with no, you know, MED and all this kind of stuff, right? Yeah, and like at the time it was sort of a, you know, like to give a bit more context, you know, that was a conversation about, you know, like, do we want to rebuild Phil's gun into sort of a semi-locked DMR that's pushing the field's FPS limits for an AEG, um, which, you know, I'm more than capable of doing. Like, it's not a problem. Um, but, you know, okay, yeah, it's fantastic for this one game mode, but you're going to have to use your sidearm every time we're playing a game that is CQB. <laughs> which is way more often. Yeah. Because typically we play one D-Day game. Let's say we play one D-Day game per outing right? Which is not true, right? It's like 0.5, but whatever on average, but let's say it's one, but we'll, in that same game, we'll play at least two village games, probably four. And probably also uh, a couple of road games and your MED on that rifle was going to be 50 feet ish, which puts you inside your MED for half of that field. If not more, if not more. Um, Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it just sort of, it works out to in practice being an odd thing. Like one of the things um, that realistically, I'm not sure we've addressed uh, in a really long time. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I don't think about that episode about long range airsoft rifles as a thing that we did three years ago. I think about it as a thing we did eh, recently um, yeah, yeah, because I agree. that's how my brain works. <laughs> um, you know, uh, in the same way that like I talk about movies and that I've seen and my students are like, sir, I was two. Zoomers, man, what are you going to (laughs) do? We old. Um, So, um, you know, one of the things that's probably worth mentioning is that I'm actually running my long barreled rifle um, at around a uh, a 420 FPS, like 1.5 joule range um, inside of our field's standard rifle limits 99.9% of the time. For the same reason, um, you know, I want to get achievable accuracy that reaches as far as I can within those limits. Um, but that's chiefly a functionality of dealing with um, situations where, you know, and this happens regularly where people are far from me and think they can hit me and I am far from them and know I can hit them. Mm-hmm. Um, situations which usually work out in my favor. So like... <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you know, um, so like I could tune the rifle, um, to longer ranges really easily. Like, I mean, it's HPA, you know, turn the key. All right, cool. We're a DMR now. Yeah. Um, but I don't generally feel that it is sort of worth the air quotes drawbacks. Um, I might play around with that more, 
this year because I have uh, the SMG and I'm probably going to be using that for more of our CQB games just because it's hilarious. Um, mm-hmm. I really like it. Um, but, you know, we'll see how that all plays out over the summer uh, and the spring coming of the coming year. Um, so, you know, but that is worth mentioning. <laughs> yeah. So let's go back. I think for those who are, who maybe did not listen to that episode, because it is three years ago. And I think many yeah. people have discovered the podcast perhaps more recently, not necessarily gone back and listened no, to the backlog. Some of those episodes are a bit rough, especially at the beginning. So I don't blame you. Um, but like when <laughs> we talk about, <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it took a while to get where we are today. Let's put it that way. Um, for those who weren't familiar with the concept, like when we talk about realistically achievable accuracy, like what does that mean to you specifically? So, um, kind of the opposite of what I get watching a lot of YouTube videos about airsoft where people are like, oh, you know, I'm going to shoot my airsoft replica and it's going to hit people 300 feet away. First shot all the time. Sure. Cool. Um, if you are succeeding at that with uh, an AEG or a HPA setup that's like running a reasonable FPS, please come on our Discord and tell me how. <laughs> I wish to learn. Um, you know, so realistically from my point of view right uh if a stock airsoft gun has sort of a uh i fire five rounds and i land two of them at 150 feet say i would like my gun to do it in one at 150 feet two is okay but like one would be good Mm -hmm. um you know out to 200 feet you do get people like oh yeah i'm getting just first round shots um I think that's achievable with a really dialed in bolt action, um, regardless of what you're using to power source it, assuming that you've spent the time and energy and gotten it set up. Um, but at 200 feet uh, running, you know, I run 0.32 or MBBs. Uh, so I'm getting as, as little deviation as you can probably effectively run on a setup that's also capable of full auto and being used quasi close. Um, you know, I would like at 200 feet to fire five rounds and land one on you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the magnified optic makes it closer to three most days um, if you're not moving. <laughs> yeah. Um, and notice that he said 200 feet, right? We Not 200 meters, yeah. right? Um, and so 200 feet is what, like 65, 66 meters or something like Somewhere that? Somewhere there. I'm, I've never been right? good at that conversion, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, it, it's like, but anyways, it's it's pretty good. Right. It, yeah. It's a perfectly reasonable, perfectly acceptable. And if you think about, again, our airsoft field that we play on, 200 feet will generally span the front to back of most of the different, quote unquote, maps that, that we play on. Definitely yep. the village, no question. Yep. Uh, road um, game, maybe a little dicey. Um, D-Day, maybe also dicey if you're going like crosswise, like uh, in a diagonal. Yeah. Other than so, that, I mean, you're pretty much good, right? So I guess the next thing to talk about then is like how we're achieving that currently. Yeah. Because uh, probably the biggest change for us is that how we're achieving that has definitely altered over the last couple of years. Um, you know, we've tried a significant quantity of parts that we hadn't tried previously. Uh, also, HPA as a thing. Uh, is is newer than that episode to us. So, yeah. um, you know, we have uh, switched over from manufacturing our own R-Hops patches to using Elvish tack ones. Um, I still have days when I think the ones we made custom were like a tiny bit better. 
but not eight hours of my time better. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, I remember how much time you were spending on those R hops, and they're so finicky. And then I remember when we got the Elvish hack ones, and it was like, eh, no big deal. And it was very like, what exactly just happened here? Because this is supposed to be witchcraft, and you just did it, and it worked fine, basically yeah. right off the rip. Yeah, it's it's sort of a like, hmm, seems sus. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm very happy with those. Um, you know, I like I said, I think uh, it's maybe possible to get better performance out of um, a couple of tinkering around with like you doing your own or uh, Steph's had a really good luck with S hopping stuff. Um, but uh, they work well within the sort of tolerances that I want um, mm -hmm. and are easy. And I like that part. <laughs> yeah. They're definitely um, worth the expense. Like for us, I think they're like 20 bucks Canadian something yeah. somewhere around there. And like, I don't know how much an hour of your time listener is worth, but for me, tw throwing 20 bucks at a problem to save myself some time is often worth it. I'm not going to say all the time, but most of the time. But like, yeah, there are, there are many problems we will solve there. Yeah. And like, as we've talked about in, um, in some other episodes, I'm in a place in my life where I have a finite amount of time I can dedicate to Airsoft. And so spending eight hours teching on a gun is fine. I don't mind doing it, but that is sometimes going to mean eight, that's eight hours I don't have to play. Yeah. Um, so this is inconvenient, right? We, we wish to balance that out if we can manage it. Uh, so, oh, sorry. So we got the R hops, yep. right? Which we, we talked about. So since we did that episode, the Elvish tack R hops are definitely the go-to for us. And that works for us because our local or not local, but semi-local provider in Andy's Airsoft is able to both provide the barrels and the appropriate Elvish tack patches for those barrels, which makes it super convenient as a one-stop shop. I think one of the limiting factors for us in getting other types of barrels or, or what have you has been just availability, right? Do they have what we want uh, in a way that is not going to cost us our, you know, an arm, a leg, and perhaps our firstborn child um, yeah, um, in shipping, right? Exactly. You know, like, so um, there before Christmas, I was looking at um, some PDI 6.01s, yep. um, which have a pretty good reputation um, as far as I can tell. Uh, and... They weren't available anywhere in Canada at the time. And getting them from Amped was going to cost me $300 for two. Yeah, which is, uh, which is prohibitively expensive. Pretty rough. Like, we we both decided, like, eh, maybe not uh, at that price. Um, now, part of that is, you know, we both got what I think are good barrels uh, in yeah. the runs. Um, you know, I am convinced at this point, um, courtesy of the Discord, really, that 6.01s are an experiment I want to try. And I think that that experiment is probably most valuable on the longer guns that we're running. Um, I would definitely agree. I just also, you know, don't necessarily have $300 to throw at that problem today. Just willy-nilly. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely agree. But, uh, you know, other places that we have thrown money on Airsoft recommendations since the podcast three years ago, um, the hop-up units. So we've switched to the rotary style hop-up units, in particular the max hop-up units, yep. uh, for better or for worse, uh, in certain cases because of the guns that we were using, et cetera, et cetera, that required a little bit of finagling. But once we got those working, they were excellent. Yeah. Right. They're, and uh, that that's from the, that's on the more on the consistency side, I guess, right? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, and that's sort of, you know, our 
big sort of goal um, and the way we like to think about uh, accuracy in Airsoft is in practice that we want the BB to go to the same place every time we pull the trigger or as much as you can manage with a spherical projectile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, the type of barrel helps, obviously. Um, having a hop-up unit that is machined to really tight tolerances is fantastic. Uh, it's also a huge pain in the ass, um, yeah. <laughs> as we discovered, yeah. right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, no question. You know, the amount of feeding problems caused by uh, 0.5 of a millimeter on the front end of a nozzle uh, is probably not a thing that I would uh, would talk about comfortably. Like, oh my god, um, you know, but I'm I like, think now you know, that if I, you're now that I know Sorry, to look for it, it's it's really not a problem. Um, but yeah, if you're going to be getting into the sort of like, oh, I want really like super precision, like Max is a really good brand, definitely at this point, um, hop-up units, be aware that that comes with tailoring everything else to make sure it works with them, um, yeah. which is D- both worthwhile and a pain. <laughs> there's a huge, there's a huge, not, not, it's not even like a learning curve, I would say, but it's like, there's so many things that go into the teching aspect of it and some of it is so so minute so small that if you're doing this for the first time like there really is sort of a progression order which we're not really going to get into but like trying to build a, a highly accurized for lack of a better term dmr style airsoft replica as a first upgrade might not be your first port of call like there should be other things that you probably need yeah, to do there, there are um there, there is definitely, um, and this honestly might be a thing we should revisit uh, in a later episode. Like, there's definitely a sort of uh, triage list: a work your way from here to here on building your airsoft replica in general. Uh, yeah. And you know, I, I absolutely love max hop ups. Do not just go buy one to shove in your gun willy nilly. It and, probably won't work out for you. Yeah, and that's a fair point it too, might. because like I think there's <laughs> but, a difference between like the best in-class upgrade that you can get and the best upgrade that you can get that is easy to install, right? Like there's the best, like sort of quote unquote plug and play, right? That you can just slap into any gun that will work basically really just to use an easy example. Like there's probably like a best motor that you can just drop into your gun and not have to think about anything else. Right. Um, But the max hop up for us in our experience is an excellent piece of kit, but, and the butt is pretty big here, right? And I'm not talking, I'm not talking like Sir Mix a lot butts. Like, I mean, like this is a very <laughs> big butt that is as, as impactful as sort of what I was experiencing, which is, you know, double feed, misfeeds, like crazy wild velocities, all because the nozzle is off by half of a millimeter, right? Which is a measurement that most people in their day-to-day lives would never encounter, right? So there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of finessing that comes with that. And so as your first project, probably not, uh, not the best idea, but we've gone way off, off tangent there. So the max hop up is, is something that has changed. I don't think we've really revisited sort of our actual hop up rubbers themselves. Like I think we're pretty uh, much using like the modified stuff like we always have. Uh, we actually did. Uh, I just don't think I told you. It's <laughs> oh, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think those were just a thing that I bought um, I am going to hopefully be right. Um, I literally would have to go check the bag of them in the back room. Um, I think we are currently using, uh, maple leaf hard type ones, um, okay, yep. for our hop. Um, I 
bought a few of them. There's a specific one that Max recommends uh, that I was like, all right. Oh, yes, we'll, you're we'll, absolutely right. And we'll you did that. tell me this. So that's egg on um, my face. It's because I'm old and I'm a boomer and I forgot. <laughs> but uh, you definitely did tell me this. You're absolutely right. Um, and it was just sort of a like, well, we're fiddling around with these, trying to get them working in three different builds right now. Let's just order the parts and then get the thing they recommend. Um, you know, and so like over the last couple of years, we've had um, three uh, max um the orange type pop-up they're sort of standard uh ag hop-up. yeah the max pro i think yeah um we've had uh one without the latch and two with uh that we've gotten working in various things um the uh they wandered really nicely into my uh ag build uh and didn't really have a whole lot of issues there uh then i switched over to uh Akythera and it worked fine with that um and then I switched over to the uh, fusion engine. Thank you, <laughs> brains. Uh, I switched over to the fusion engine, and uh, it worked terribly with that. Uh, and I was like, "What the hell? Why isn't this working?" And went and checked, and they make a specific one for the fusion engine. To hell with you, Pat. So I <laughs> said, "All right, credit card already hates me for what I've done. Let's just continue the problem." <laughs> yeah, just swipe. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I am no longer thinking about this sensibly the hell with it. Um, yeah. And that um, the one that they make for the fusion engine fix the problem instantly. Great. Uh, have zero complaints. Um, so, you know, we've changed our hop up. We haven't really changed our barrels. Um, Prometheus was for a long while considered to be one of the best um, manufacturers, I think for airsoft. Um, Certainly the best that was available to us here in um, Eastern Canada, let's call it. Absolutely. And that was one of the big things I was going to say was that so um, we've had a choice for quite a while between sort of spending $80 on a Prometheus barrel of the appropriate length to my door uh, or spending $200 to order one from the States. Uh, Yeah. And like there is... A difference between a $40 6.3mm type bore, um, like I've used the aluminum Mad Bull ones, I've used steel Mad Bull ones, I've used Prometheus ones, the Prometheus ones are better. You do get a better quality product for your twice as much money. Uh, that's not always going to be the case, I'm sure, but in that case, you know, I do agree. Um, is the difference enough that I'm willing to pay the money? Yes. Uh, has that always been true? No, there have been versions of Pat that had less money that were like, you know what, I will just buy the aluminum mad bull and it will do everything i want it to do today uh, at a price i can afford so um possibly the um the 6.01 type bores that we've been looking at end up being in that sort of category as well um i also have been kind of conservative about them um the 6.01 specifically because um we very early in uh, me getting into teching and uh, in one of Phil's earliest forays into it as well, we put a 6.01 into a bolt action uh, and it was it jammed up horribly under someone else's use um, and it was a, just a huge pain in the hole. Um, yeah, now, we kind of swore him off after that. Yeah, it was sort of like a... Now, yeah, like just... Now, I actually do think very solidly that the problem in that case was the user and maybe we did something wrong, but probably just the guy was a bit of... Mm. <laughs> los dos. Oh well, yeah, but, yeah. Fair. I, I would, you know, I would agree. <laughs> um, you know, he was he was the sort of person who, when he jammed nine BBs into the 
barrel of the bolt action, then kicked the bolt out the back end of the gun. So yeah, yeah like not the kind of person you want to treat as a reliable source. Um, but speaking of reliable sources, though, we have it from reliable sources on the Discord. At least one reliable source, and then, uh, well, let's say Chaz. Uh, I'm just kidding, buddy. Uh, no, so we've had multiple people on the Discord tell us that they've ran 6.01 millimeter barrels for a long time and had no issues. Um, and that really, you know, it's been, what, 10 plus years since we had that issue with that particular barrel, probably even longer than that, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, and so I think the time is is right for us to sort of explore. But like you said, is it? Uh, do I expect it to be twice as good for a barrel that is twice as expensive? Like probably not. Uh, but it's definitely you know an an experience that uh, that we want to want to go down. Right. Yeah. Um, and I'm you know I'm delighted to try it. It's just a matter of yeah um, where I want to put it in the priority of things to spend my airsoft budget on. And you know at this point it's getting further up that uh, because I've probably bought many of the bad things that i want to do um okay so listen it's been like i don't know like half an hour or something we still haven't really talked about hpa like we briefly touched on it but i think i think that is probably like the biggest thing in terms of our long range i mean your rifle my rifle that's going gonna have a kythera in it like there is also an appeal for using hpa for this sort of like higher end accurized builds right you can use hpa for anything don't get me wrong that's not what i'm trying to say but that's the direction that you took your rifle and yep. i would say from my perspective that it is much more accurate as an hpa rifle than it was previously is my sense of it so um the i think the way i tend to look at it at this point having sort of played around with both uh is that it is very doable to build a really accurized AEG that fires in semi um, quite consistently. Um, it is also a bit hard on the AEG to do it. Uh, yeah. So the piece that I felt became became problematic, um, and this isn't why I switched to HBA. I switched to HBA literally because Steph got a Kythera. It was fun and I wanted to play with it. Um, so like my starting point was not, oh, mechanical advantage. It was, this is cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, so going from there, um, you know, my experience with the Kythera was that it definitely provided me with really consistent shot to shot accuracy, um, which was really excellent. You know, I was super, super impressed with that. Uh, and it did so out of the box without what I felt was a ton of work. Like, yes, I had to mess around with the gearbox that I was shell that I was installing it into to get it to fit correctly. Um, but the level of irritation that went into getting it set up um, so that it was firing quite nicely relative to the level of irritation that went into creating this, the sort of comparable performance uh, in my AEG was substantial. Mm -hmm. um, and there were also several less failure points. Um, you know, the Kythera has the drawback that you have to take it apart every, you know, 20, 30,000 shots and lube it. Um, you know, more often is better probably, but like, you know, you have, you have Good to thing you just told me that because I didn't know and that means I'm going to have to loop it between games apparently. Well, you know, uh, there, we'll, we'll figure that out. Um, <laughs> you know, so um, that had definite benefits. 
um, getting the fusion engine dialed in as nicely as the Cathera came out of the box took a little bit of work too. Uh, and I still want to play around with some shims in it uh, some more, but uh, that's not a criticism of the fusion engine. It's it's more of a, oh, I can do more with this. Cool. Um, you know, there's also an argument um, that was getting talked about on the Discord uh, that maybe I'm over-voluming my barrel anyway and need to think about that. Uh, so that's in the back of my head to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the Kythera turned out to be like Primo. It, it's very, very fun to shoot uh, and it worked really, really well. Uh, one of the biggest things, to be honest, for me is that um, I felt more comfortable shooting it a lot um, in the sense that like I, you know, there's no motor to overheat. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, a few things like that, uh, which is, you know, probably just um, paranoia on my part, I think, to be honest with you. But I don't think so, because I feel the same way, man. Like I've played games where my AG motor. Uh, yeah, I get uh, Phil shoots a lot. Ha ha ha. OK, fine. But like I've played games where like my motor does get hot and I'm like, man, like maybe I should shoot a little bit less. But then I think about it and I'm like, my motor is getting hot and I've only put like 200 rounds through it. Right now I'm shooting really fast and it's a lot to start stop because it's semi only because, I, you know, we talk about I don't really shoot full auto. So the motor's getting hot and it, like it's a thing, right? You're thinking about that yeah. um, or you should be thinking about that if you're at a point where your gun is like you know you've up put some upgrades and you're pushing your performance and stuff you probably are thinking about that kind of stuff it's a real thing like i, I don't think there's anything um out of like out of turn of thinking about oh like am i shooting too much or you know is is something going to give and to be honest with you that is something i'm looking forward to to about what about the kythera is well, it's going to be semi-auto only, obviously, because of the nature of that particular engine. But I'm not going to have to worry about, yeah. oh, like, am I overstressing my motor? Is my gearbox going to explode because the spring is just going to, or the spring is dying and my my velocity is going down consistently, or my muzzle energy, I should say, excuse me, is going down consistently like we've had happen, you know, in the past. Yeah. Uh, am I going to pass chrono today? Um, I, if I want to, right? Yeah. <laughs> like fundamentally, um, right? And one of the nice things about, um, HPA in a general sort of sense that's definitely at this point for me come back to being worth it. You know, I still own AEGs. I still love playing with AEGs. Don't get me wrong. Um, but like my air quotes, serious airsoft gun is a HPA gun. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's going to stay the case for the foreseeable future uh, for a couple of reasons. You know, but one of the big ones is just that if I really want to run it as a DMR, I can literally just turn a screw. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, and change a single setting on the FCU, which takes like two minutes. Great. Um, you know, will I have to re-zero it? Yes. So am I going to do that without like tuning it up first? No, but it means that if I want to show up and use that gun for a Saturday um, in the summer, then all I have to do is go and dial it in at the higher FPS uh, or the higher um, muzzle energy yeah. before I go play and then I'm good to go. Uh, and that's, extremely cool uh it's not you know flawless you know uh, as um you know was pointed out in the discord uh the last time we did one of these um the bolt action you know hpa or otherwise will produce yes a more consistent result just because of the way it works uh but i do want to get as much consistency out of this as i can and the fact that it gives me flexibility is really cool you know if i wanted to go to uh, a cqb game i could just turn it way down and go um, yeah. you know, 
I'm more likely at this point to use the SMG, but like that wasn't a thing that I owned when I made that decision. Yeah. Um, you know, and like one of the other big practical things is that uh, running a really accurized AEG on semi does put strain on all the components you're running. Um, you know, there's no really two ways around that. It's just, yeah, this is an intensive bit of stuff you're asking your tiny air compressor to get through. Um, yeah, I agree. And the Kythera is just going to do it fine. Um, it's not a solution to every single problem. Um, but my goal was, okay, so I want to run a semi-auto accurized rifle um, pushing out to that 200-foot range bracket comfortably. And I did my reading, I think and it can. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> There's this other thing with HPA, which is a thing that you and I had talked about even before we were really considering HPA, was this idea that you get to set the energy, right? Whereas with an AEG, like I remember many times where we were like, oh, I put an N120 in that. Oh, it's shooting over 1.6 joules. Okay, well, I need to wear it in, quote unquote, uh, to get it to pass chrono, which is foolish, or you need to just swap to an N110, which is what we ended up doing anyway, um, so that you get into that 1.4 joule range instead, yep, right? And especially but because if, you put in the max hop up and you're like, oh yeah, like this this will fix my feeding issues. And it's like, it will. Turns out it will also bump your FPS by between 10 and 25. Yeah. And so <laughs> with with the the HPA, like you can get to that middle ground where you're shooting, you know, if your limit at your field is 1.60 like it is at ours and you want to shoot 1.59 consistently, you can you can dial your air so that you do exactly that. Now, I don't necessarily recommend. I don't think that your velocity limit is like a speed limit like you should be <laughs> trying to hit it every time. But if you wanted to, you can. And Yep. You know, that's something that an AEG or a Springer or whatever just can't do that, right? It cannot give you that level of micro adjustments. And again, like you're talking about overvoluming or, or whatever else, like you could, there's a lot more accommodation that exists in that sphere because you're controlling specifically everything about it very precisely as opposed to just yeah. from my perspective anyway slap it in there and hope for the best kind of based on what manufacturers say an m110 should be shooting etc and you know you don't have to deal with the fact that different manufacturers use the same numbers for different values yeah. um, but you know uh, i'd be lying if i said there weren't you know uh weren't drawbacks there uh in terms of uh, especially really learning how to tinker with either the Kythera, which is uh, a mechanical system, or um, the Fusion Engine, which is a digital uh, one. But like, if you're trying to build for, you know, long range uh, effectiveness, I do think they're really quite good tools. Um, you know, I'm not quite willing to say like, you know, oh, you know, ditch your AG. Like, I'm certainly not there. Uh, but if you are sitting there going, okay, well, I really want to make a highly accurized, like moderate to long range airsoft build. Uh, and you're also still wanting to keep sort of the, uh, functionality of like a semi-automatic rifle. I think they're a really good thing to look at. Um, I think that you are better off at least thinking about HPA at this point. Um, you know, the, the barrier to entry is definitely higher than taking your AEG and upgrading it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But there are some upsides, uh, yeah. you know, and I'm 
all about getting feedback on that. I'd love to hear other people's opinions on it. Um, you know, I, um, I do think in a lot of ways, uh, some of the stuff that we have sort of traditionally run, uh, is, I won't say like a bad idea, but it's definitely, uh, choosing to do maintenance intensive things for the sake of, um, effect while playing, um, you know, so like, um, I didn't have the same issues because I just wasn't shooting as much as Phil. Um, but I definitely, definitely, um, would have, like, if we just swapped guns for a season, it would have been my rifle that was having all the having issues. the mechanical yeah, totally. issues. Like, it's just a, you know, like, um, one of the specifically recurring things, and it's a cheap solution. Like, it's really easy to fix, but Phil burns through motor rushes pretty quickly or has done. Um, mm-hmm. and it's just the trigger response that he wants in an AEG setup requires us to build it a certain way. And that way is hard on the motor. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to, um, probably a different set of problems. Uh, I won't say none. Um, but you know, the variety will be nice at minimum and, um, you know, the, the Kythera I've, you know, I've used, um, one in a short gun belong to Steph. Uh, I've used one in a long gun belong to me. They perform really well. Um, you know, they definitely require fiddling around with to get, set up but i'm i'm really impressed and the price point is really good uh as far as an engine goes you know the um the sort of the air air tank and the regulator are definitely a barrier to entry thing um having one of them makes buying more hpa guns a lot cheaper which is really bad for me (laughs) but i think ultimately (laughs) whether you decide to go AEG or HPA, especially when you're trying to build an accurized long-range rifle, that leads to, well, attacking aside, it also leads to gameplay changes as well, right? Yeah. And um, And not the ones people necessarily think. And, you know, I sort of said this at the start, but when you increase your range, when you're, there's something that actually is, I think a lot of airsofters chase really is this idea of, I want my gun to shoot further. Right. Or we talked about this as well on the episode many, you know, many years ago, many years ago, which is crazy to think. But anyways, um, (laughs) we talked about this before, which is that when you say you want more range, what you're really talking about is you want more achievable accuracy. Like you want to be able to hit people when you aim at them at a longer distance. Right. Um, And the idea, I think the fundamental concept is probably fine, which is that if you have more range than the other person, uh, you can stay further back outside of their range and hit them before they can hit you. And I've had that makes sense, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I've I've had a lot of situations, uh, even just looking at the last season, um, you know, or the last two seasons where I've been running the HPA setup, which, like I said, I've been really, really happy with. Um, mm-hmm. in terms of performance where I'm playing and, you know, like even not sort of necessarily situations where like uh, I'm pushing the extreme range of my gun and they're pushing their ex- the extreme range of theirs, but just where like we're 80, 90 feet apart, 120 feet apart. And uh, I have a accurized age or an accurized, I almost said AG, an accurized rifle. Uh, and a 
uh, magnified optic. And so I can see exactly where my BBs are going and put them exactly where I want them to be. And the other person doesn't. And so they are shooting, you know, within six or eight inches of me or a foot of me. And uh, they need five rounds and I hit them in the head. Yeah. Or in the chest. The... And that's that. And that feels real good. <laughs> yeah. But I would say on the flip side, I you know, when once you've done that a couple of times, the other player is also chasing that, right? So you have this, uh, you know, I hate I hate to use this term, but this arms race, right? This escalation, right? So initially, the first time you show up and you're shooting folks, you know, 180 feet away or whatever, um, they're going like, oh my God, he's got so much range. And they're going home and they're doing the research, maybe listening to this podcast and figuring out how to upgrade their airsoft gun to do the same thing. And the next time you go, you're shooting at 180 feet and they're shooting at eight, uh, 180 feet. And then really you're, your your advantage that you've got is really fleeting, right? Yeah, and I mean, it's and, it's not a matter of um, as as easy as it perhaps is to think. Oh man, like this is kind of a, a pay to win thing for airsoft. It's not. Um, you know, I I've certainly, and we've talked about this um, before in the sense of you know we've had a had an episode on whether or not airsoft is pay to win. Um, you know, so I've paid for mechanical advantage, definitely. Right. Um, yeah. If you show up and are using a stock or even a lightly upgraded AEG and you're trying to engage me um, inside of my comfortable range, you're not at your comfortable range. And, you know, oops. So the, the question becomes, I think, how do we address that? So if you're playing against me, you shouldn't be engaging me at my comfortable range and your uncomfortable range. Now, yeah, exactly right. You know, the, the problem, um, and it's funny, I was thinking about this as we did sort of the preamble, uh, to this before we started up, um, I would pay real cash money to see a lot of airsofters, especially YouTubers, um, you know, who are talking about how you know, they have this infinite range airsoft rifle, um, you know, where they're like, oh, my airsoft replica shoots, you know, a hundred meters. And it's like, improbable, carry on. <laughs> um, I would love to see someone just like follow them around with a laser range finder and just pop up a little, this is how much they were off by in the corner of that video. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, really, hey? Because to be clear, uh, you know, like I go play airsoft and I'm like, oh, it's 150 feet and it's like, 85 <laughs> or i'm yeah. like oh that's 150 feet and it's 280 like, and that's such a good point I'm because, bad at this. <laughs> well the issue i think is that it's not just you the vast majority of airsofters and people i would say in general are not good at estimating ranges right if you are in a trade of some sort whether it's military civilian doesn't matter where you've gotten accustomed to visually ranging out stuff you might be pretty good at it but i would say that's not the majority of people yeah, and so the skill you have great impact, but well yeah but <laughs> i would you know based on my empirical evidence the evidence of my eyes at the airsoft field and airsoft on youtube and, and everywhere else the vast majority and i say this all the time the vast majority of airsofters are garbage at ranging distances visually and that includes me yeah. right well i mean like and as a but so the problem with that though is that you have guys who are chasing this um idea of having longer range and doing all this kind of stuff and including the drawbacks, which we talked about, like the added stress of the gearbox, the, obviously the more expensive parts, the, you know, the, the minimum, minimum engagement, engagement distances, <laughs> all that stuff. Right. And all of this contributes to uh, airsoft players who become like super passive. 
right? So you got guys who sit in their spawn or very near their spawn who are just shooting at the enemy, the enemy that is 250 feet away or whatever, thinking that they're being some sort of like super uh, important DMR for their team, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. Or DM, not DMR, they're the DM, but whatever. Like they're, they're doing this sort of like support function by sitting at the back of the field and not actually supporting in the most, in the meaningful way, right? And we've actually seen that sort of play out on uh, it, on our fields multiple times, even with you, Pat, not because you were sitting be- behind, but because at the time, I, I remember this distinctly, we were not communicating. Yep. We were not talking. And so you had a rifle that was shooting longer distances. You were playing in a support role, but because we could not talk, you could not support us. And that was very frustrating for me. And that was very frustrating for you. And right. I mean, that's sort of the punchline, right? So, um, you know, the, the two things that I take away from that experience are, you know, first up, you need to know what your gear can do, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you need to know what is your comfortable. Yeah. If I drop the reticle that I'm using, whatever I'm using over the torso of another player and pull the trigger twice, I'm going to hit them. Right. You need to know what distance you can do that at reliably. Yeah. That's the distance you should be trying to play in. And like, I don't mean you need to know how many feet it is. I mean, you need to be able to eyeball it. Um, you also need to be sensible and go, okay, that guy over there has a bolt action rifle. I'm going to treat that as though that distance for him is substantially further. And I'm going to take advantage of cover and not let him do that to me. Um, you know, because if you just sort of like stand half out of cover and try to, you know, one v one me, if I have that good distance and it's 20, 30, 50 feet longer than yours, you're making a mistake. Yeah. Um, and again, like it feels great for me, but I've been on the other end of that situation, right? I've played the opposite end of that. (laughs) Um, and it's foolish to play it any way other than a smart one. So how do you play it better, right, as either player? So if you're running the DMR, you still need to know what that distance is. If you've got a really accurized, you know, moderate to long range setup, you're still looking at a situation where you probably don't actually want to just sit, you know, if you can, if you can shoot 180 feet, you probably don't want to sit 180 feet away. Um, no, definitely. You know, like there have been games where, um, I was running that, you know, after I set up, especially like, so the, the season that I, I built the Kythera, uh, we played some games, uh, in the village where I didn't enter the village. <laughs> um, and some of those games we had wicked comms and it was basically just sort of, we were using the fire lane that I was set up in to shape the engagement such that they either walked out into my fire lane or they were stuck up against the entirety of the rest of my team. And that worked really well. Yeah. Um, we played other games where that wasn't what we were doing and we weren't really communicating. And where in point of fact, you know, like there were two guys left on my team out of six or seven because the beginning of the game went pear-shaped, which happens. And I'm I'm still running a rifle where I can get further up and be an assaulter. And I wasn't. And I was useless. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's just... And, it, you know, you need to understand and we've talked about this many times, like you need to understand your capabilities. You need to understand your team's capabilities too, because 
there's this notion, I think, and again, like if you think about what happens on like YouTube, etc., you see all these like YouTubers are like, oh, well, he's got a sniper, so he's like the main character or whatever, right? And the problem though is that when you are in that in that role, like you're not the main character, right? You're supporting a main action, right? Of more people than you. And you need to understand what they're going to do and what they're capable of doing in order to support them. So what you said at the start, like if your range has 180 feet, you shouldn't be 180 feet back. Not just because your range is, that's your maximum range, but also because your friendlies are likely going to push up past you and they're going to be engaging targets that are 120 feet from them when they're 80 feet in front of you. Well, you know, I'm not strong in math, but that's 200 feet now. So did you move? Did you go with them? Did you support them? Did you understand, like, to your what you were just saying? Like, we have an engagement that we shape, understanding our capabilities. Now, I would say that at the, you know, random skirmish is probably not going to happen unless you have an organized bunch of people, which is fair enough. But especially if you're thinking about objective games or you're trying to be, like, a designated marksman in that sort of role at a larger game, like, you need to understand how your team is going to behave in order to be able to support them. And I can guarantee you that sitting back at your spawn or sitting five pieces of cover behind where the action is happening and shooting ineffectively forward, like we see basically all the time, uh, not from you, but I mean, just in general. I've, but um, I've had my days. Like, <laughs> well, you've, well, yeah, you've had your fair share, but that's beside the know. point. I'm not throwing you under any bus. Um, but the reality is like, if that's how you're going to act as a, as a DM, uh, as a designated marksman, because you have this DMR rifle that you built and it's super accurized at super long ranges. And I'm doing all this in air quotes because none of this is necessarily, you know, if this is your first time doing it, like you might, anyways, the point is you're not where you need to be both physically and in terms of your capabilities that you're not going to support the team. And the last part I think is the most important because we have had really, really good success over, you know, 15, 16 years of playing as a team, right? As a result, maybe not those first couple of years, but definitely <laughs> the later on. You know, when I think about Mark and I think about Jason, I think about you, like we've had really good success at utilizing those types of support roles when we had active participants, right? Who weren't just sitting back, but who were moving forward. You know, you're pushing up a line. We're understanding how the battle is shaking out and understanding where do you need to apply your long range precision to support some of the movement that's happening further down the field. The other right? like practical thing that's, I think, really worth mentioning there is, so um, if you're looking at the kind of um, DMR setups that are actually popular in Airsoft generally, they are closer to what I'm running. Right, they are mm -hmm. either at like I'm I'm pushing um, the upper limit of rifle, or they are at I've stepped just above it into uh, DMR, but I'm not at this is a bolt action and it has 100 foot MED. <laughs> yeah. Um. So if you're rocking anything in that range of setup, um, you know the way I encourage you to think about it is so. Um, yes, I can sit back and fire from 180 feet and hit people and be frankly, extremely safe, right? Like this is an option. Um, but it's not a useful option because the useful place for me is maybe 10 feet behind Phil, where the people who Phil is having trouble hitting because they're outside of that comfortable zone, that, you know, that green zone that we were talking about for Phil's gun are well within mine, right? Yeah. So they're in the, Phil needs to take five shots to take this person out. I need to take two 
area for me, that's where I want to keep the engagement. That is where I want to keep sort of my my distance from whoever I'm playing against, right? If I have to move not inside to mention, of it, fair enough, but that's where I want it to be. <laughs> well, and not to mention that you could utilize your greater range to get in a more advantage piece of cover that gives you a better angle on who you're trying to shoot compared to where I need to be in order to be as effective, right? So as I'm pushing up to your point 10, 10 feet or, you know, whether it's 20 feet or even 30 feet, doesn't really make a difference, right? Like I'm pushing up straight on, you can go to my left or you can go to my right as the the battlefield sort of shakes out and utilize some of those areas to put in, you know, a flanking fire, yeah, and, right? And be that in one of those situations. get around their cover so that I can keep moving. Well, and, and be in one of these situations where like, if I had the same range Phil does, although frankly, at this point, we're pretty close. Um, certainly after we put the Kytherian, we're going to be fairly one-to-one again. Um, although I have the magnified optic, which genuinely helps, right? There is that sort of like, well, I can be the longer side of the triangle pretty comfortably carry on, yeah. right? Um, you know, so the the piece that I really, I guess, want to stress here is that um, it's still a game of fire and move. Um, the more static Absolutely. I am, generally, the worse it is for me. Partly because if you're staying in one place, they're eventually going to figure out where you are. And like, oh, I've got a really great, you know, one-to-one cool. There are five guys and they're just pulling their whole, they're onto auto and they're holding it down and I'm going to get hit. Like, it's just, that's, that's how that works. Um, yeah. you know, but also if you're not supporting the people on your team and it doesn't matter if it's, you know, me and Phil, yeah, okay. We work pretty well together. We have had a little bit of practice. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's not the, the critical piece there. Right. So if I'm working with two brand new players, whether they're having an easy time moving up is irrelevant. I should be smoothing that out for them because that's the yeah, point of the way my right. kid is set up. Right. So like, if we look at, um, the village, there are a couple of places that become choke points that are a lot safer to erase from the field at my range band than at a standard AEG yeah, assaulter absolutely. point blank kind of range band. That doesn't mean you can't do it, you know, but like I can very easily go. I think that no one gets to stay on the two stories, upper floors and shoot out of them today. Like I can just yeah. decide that. Uh, and that removes a thing that Phil has to worry about, right? It doesn't, make it less of a problem, it removes it from the table. Yeah, exactly. Right. So <laughs> and that's really, you know, uh, that that's how you really need to think about if you're, if you're going down the, that sort of longer range route, you really need to start thinking about how you're going to utilize that range to support your team. And it's not, it's a lot less about how are you going to rack up the kills that day or whatever? Like if you're playing team deathmatch, whatever, like fine, you know, fill your boots. But if you're, personal, if you're playing an objective based game, don't get me wrong. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're going to take this to some sort of objective team based game where there's things that you need to achieve on the field, you need to think about how are you going to use this to support your team and your ability to just go out willy nilly and sort of push the objective or do whatever you know, come secondary in a lot of cases. If you've built a kit that is supposed to be a support kit, well, you know, support, right? It's it's like one of the one of the guys who I like watching who does like hockey commentary or whatever. It's like if you're a goaltender, tend the goal. Well, if you're a support airsofter, support your team. Like that's what you're supposed to do. And right. And one of the really like this is gonna sound really maybe daft, but one of the funny things for me is so like um 
I actually do also a lot of engaging targets outside the effective range of my gun. Uh, because, so I will say for argument's sake that I, I'm, I've got a comfortable like 150, because I do, no problem. Mm -hmm. I know for sure we've we've actually like taped that out and marked it off and done, yeah. dialed it in. 150, no problem. Um, so uh, I do a lot of shooting at 200. Um, but it's one of those things where, you know, if I'm 200 feet away from a guy who's in a window on the upper floor of that two-story structure, can I hit them one or two trigger pulls? Nah, especially not if there's any kind of wind. Can I put their head down? Absolutely. Definitely. If their head is yeah. down, can my teammates do something about them? <laughs> right? Yeah, that's that support role, you know? right? And, and this is also one of those things where, like... Um, I think the most frustrating recurring thing for me uh, this season and the last season were days where like four of us showed up, but only two or three radios came like in terms of our teammates and like not, you know, to shit anyone like stuff happens, whatever. But um, if I'm 200 feet away from the target and Phil's 50 feet away from the target, being able to go, Hey, his head is down. Do your thing is really useful because Phil knows yeah. that, yeah, shots totally. are going in that guy's general direction. He can hear them hitting the plywood or whatever, but he doesn't know that's someone on his team intentionally putting that head down. And if he does, that changes what he has in terms yeah, of an information, set. right? Makes it makes a huge <laughs> difference, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm going to wrap it up. I think now, yeah, for sure. um, so for those of you who are in the chat, you can stick around. We're going to do a post show. If you're interested in, just chilling, ask a couple questions, have some conversation, maybe a couple of laughs about our favorite sport, Blasto Blasto. You heard it here first. That's what it's called now. It's not Airsoft, it's Blasto what, Blasto. What have you done? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'll we'll just do a quick wrap-up and then we'll uh we'll go to the post show. So obviously, like you're gonna chase that uh that longer range at some point you know if you're just starting out or maybe you're in a position where you've already got like a pretty upgraded rifle and maybe you want to push it a little bit further i think everyone just, hits the point where they want to play around with it i really do yeah totally and i mean we did and you know we did you know however many years ago and now we're where we are now but i think ultimately the the biggest thing is just really consider uh, which route you want to go to, go with, uh, you know, in terms of like upgrades uh, internally, whether you want to go HPA, EG, and uh, the sort of the pitfalls that come with either. But especially really consider like, okay, so if you're putting all this power, all this range in your airsoft rifle, how is that going to impact your play style? And, you know, our recommendation, of course, is don't let it impact your play style unless you're really willing to take it the full direction and go, you know, full support, keep pushing, supporting your team and stuff. And that is in our opinion, or at least in my opinion, I think Pat also shares it. That's where success is to be found, right? Again, Airsoft, like we've said many times, uh, is a team sport, right? And you need to be supporting your team. You need to be working with your team in order to achieve success. Like, yeah, if you're playing a random skirmish or whatever, and it's three on three and you win lone wolf, congratulations. That's great. That's super fun. Right. Definitely. But when you're talking about objective games and like Milson games and stuff, it's a team endeavor. And uh, if you're playing a, a role that is much more of a supportive role, uh, then you really want to just keep that in mind in front of mind as you uh, as you go through it. Anytime you're trying to do anything more complicated than win a team deathmatch, teamwork is super duper helpful. And I, honestly, even if you're trying to win a team deathmatch, it's still like, you know, a fire team is way better than one dude, unless it's just the sort of like, yeah, free for all, you know. Mm -hmm. have fun <laughs> i will 
So guys, that's it for us today. Uh, just one final reminder. You can find a link to our Storm Riders uh, official patch, Discord patch, uh, as voted on by the Airsoft community or the Discord Airsoft community. Uh, it's The link is on our Discord. It's going to be in the video as well. If you want to support the channel, we have merch on the store, both excellent ways to support the channel directly. As a bit of an aside, we're not going to be partnering or trying to sell you any particular type of products or anything like that. That's not something that's of interest to us. And uh, we respect your time enough to not want to pitch you stuff that we don't really care about, that you don't care about. You've seen it on a lot of different other social media. You know, if you want if you want a code for a set of Raycons or NordVPNs or whatever, you can find it somewhere else, but you're not going to find it <laughs> yeah, here. We will, we will not uh, be so selling if you do want to support the channel... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you really do want to support the channel, uh, stuff like this, stuff like a merch store is a great way yeah. to do that. I'm like, we're not. Uh, some other things that we're thinking about in the future, but we'll let you we'll let you in on that later on as as it comes um, comes up. But that being said, that is all that we have. If you want to keep the conversation going, please go ahead and join the Discord. Like I said, this the link is in the description below. Thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you next week. And uh, yeah, no big thanks also to the people who tuned into us doing this live. Uh, it is. Uh, still, I think a little bit of a surreal experience for me, but definitely a really cool one. Yeah. Cheers, everyone. Have a good week. <laughs>